Hello, and welcome to the Shingo Principles Podcast, the podcast for those interested in building a culture of continuous improvement and sustainable organizational excellence. I'm your host, Mary Price, with the Shingo Institute, a program in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. The Shingo Principles Podcast is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with thought leaders and practitioners around the world experienced in transforming cultures using principles, systems, and tools. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. In this episode of the Shingo Principles podcast, we hear from Bruce Hamilton, president of GBMP, a Shingo licensed affiliate. Bruce is also a member of the Shingo Academy, a Shingo examiner, and a Shingo publication award recipient. Shigeo Shingo is best known to many for lean techniques like SMED and Pokeyoke, but these methods were born from Dr. Shingo's higher purpose, a relentless and never-ending attack on the status quo. Dr. Shingo's ability to cut to the heart of a problem is, in fact, what enabled the amazing technical breakthroughs that are attributed to him. In this podcast, Bruce shares his personal experience learning directly from Dr. Shingo. Yeah, so uh, as Mary said, I've been affiliated with the Shingo Prize in a lot of capacities, been a prize winner, an examiner. Uh, But but above all, I'm uh, a longtime student of Shigeo Shingo and the Shingo model. Strong advocate. I think there's some really good good lessons from Mr. Shingo, Dr. Shingo, and also from the Shingo Institute. So uh, the topic I chose uh, was based upon, you know, it, it was just a an experience that I had with Dr. Shingo personally, that his just uh, passion for attacking the status quo. And the uh, the topic here is uh, the face we see least often is our own. So what did he mean by that? Um, and I think in this particular case, and this has a lot to do with observations, and Shingo put an awful lot of effort into trying to understand what the problem was. And his point was, you can look in the mirror, and you can look in the mirror, and you may think you see uh, what, uh, you know, the problem, but, but in fact, uh, you may be missing things that, uh, that we're not necessarily in the best position, uh, with one perspective, trying to understand a problem. So Shingo had a way of looking at problems from many different directions. And, uh, that's what I'm going to try and share with you today. Some of my lessons, my personal lessons. How do we remember Shigeo Shingo? You know, when I, when I mentioned Shigeo Shingo and others, many times it seems he's remembered for his technical genius, you know, and, and that certainly is true. His 1981 Green Book published on his birthday and edited in part by his son, Ritsuo Shingo, who's also a great friend of the Institute, is subtitled uh, Toyota Production System from an Industrial Engineering Standpoint. Um, so he's already starting to sound like a pretty technical guy. Uh, And SMED and Zero Quality Control, uh, which were published 15 years later, are are typically seen as books about methods, you know, tools. So Shingo is often remembered that way. Uh, But today I'd like to share another side of Dr. Shingo that's based upon my personal study of his writing and and interactions with him that reveal, you know, what I think you would consider an arch enemy of the status quo in business practices, and a passionate crusader for continuous improvement. And much of what I have to share today um, 
came from this book. It was Shingo, Shigeo Shingo's non-stock production, which was published in 1986. We used that book to, uh, to develop uh, practices in my business and then later to apply for the Shingo Prize in 1990. So, um, so that's the starting point. That's one idea about Shingo, technical guy. But here's another Shigeo Shingo. This is the one in 1989 I first saw. And you could kind of read this in his books, but you kind of have to picture uh, in spring of 1989, there was the first award ceremony for the Shingo Prize, which was held at Utah State University at a conference then referred to as the Partners in Productivity. I think it's still going on. It's a great conference, but Shingo did not have a conference yet. This was the first award ceremony. So Dr. Shingo had just accepted an honorary doctorate from USU, and he was the keynote speaker. And to put this in context, uh, this was a big deal for Shingo at the end of his a distinguished career that had spanned six decades. Uh, he, he actually died the next year, so he definitely was not holding back at this conference. Um, his, he, he first addressed the audience of, I'm going to say, several hundred educators were in the audience. And uh, I've quoted and he quoted him here. He started to uh, be, he was getting pretty critical. He says, you know, there are 20,000 doctoral dissertations on economic order quantity, but not a single one on SMED. People were kind of getting edgy, edgy in their seats. And he said, and the reason for that is there's just not enough fodder in SMED. There's not enough, you know, not, not enough weight in the paper for a doctoral thesis. So you guys are writing about EOQ, but, but, uh, but you don't think SMED is important. So he was getting, he was pretty ornery. And then, then uh, he turned to a uh, commander from Hill Air Force Base, which is right down the road from Utah State University. And he let the commander know, this guy's in full dress uniform and Shingo lets him know. He says, I sent my book, Nonstock Production to Ronald Reagan. He says, and clearly he hasn't read it because if he had, the taxes would be lower and you'd have a lot more services out at Hill Air Force Base. So this was kind of the tenor of the day. Shingo uh, was, he was, a, he was a critic. He wanted people to, to see things clearly. And, and he, was a, he, you know, he was just attacking the status quo right from the get-go. And it was very impressive to me. I kind of had this in the back of my mind, but this impressed upon me how important that was to him that uh, you know, we can't be passive. We have to be re really active in attacking the status quo. Here is, uh, is Dr. Shingo, he's in my plant, following along with him. And uh, I'm referring here to Socrates' Secret, which is something that came out of one of his books, which has to do with kind of a softer side. And I had this feeling that perhaps Shingo was using this method with us. Socrates' Secret goes like this. If you're gonna be talking about uh, something that's critical, something you're going to disagree upon with another party, you're going to be criticizing, start off by saying, talking about things you can agree upon. So, so he was very warm and cordial, which I think he would have been anyway, but my sense was he was kind of getting set to let us know uh, where we could make an improvement, but he started off with, there were a lot of sort of very goods. He was speaking through a translator, but every once in a while, he'd look at something and say, very good. So he was starting off in a positive way, Socrates' secret. And that was queuing up for a visit to a process that we thought we'd done a nice job with on improvement. 
And uh, here's Mr. Shingo just a little further down the factory, and he's pointing over to a fixture and he's asking questions. And this is where he was demonstrating, and you kind of have to watch this video. I don't know how the sound will be for you. This is a 1989 vintage video, so the sound and video are not perfectly clear. But let me play it for you and see if you can hear what Dr. Shingo is saying. See if you see him trying to understand the, the status quo, to grasp the purpose, to lock on to the problem, to find other, better methods, and to respond to us. And this is all in just a very short clip. Here we go. So what he, what Shingo was doing there with those parts in his hand, he was examining the parts closely. We had shown him a quick change fixture that we were kind of proud of. It was an air cylinder that pressed two parts together. And we were, and, and he's, you know, he was complimentary, but he, then he wanted to show us that something better could be done, that every current condition becomes a new status quo. And that was my takeaway from that. And it was amazing because he absolutely saw this from a much broader perspective. Now, he wasn't lecturing us about one method or this or that or what waste we were reducing. He, and he was speaking from a lifetime of experience of what he would do because he'd seen this before. And that in essence is what all of Shingo's books are about. They have this model and he referred to it as his scientific thinking mechanism. And there are a couple other models as well. They're kind of hard, they're busy and they're hard to get through. But all of those sayings like uh, Socrates' secret and those sorts of things, the things, quotes that we hear they are strung on to this model, which he referred to as the scientific thinking me mechanism, which I'd like to share with you now. And what he said was, I've developed a scientific system of thinking for improvement that uses the superior ideas of our predecessors as the warp and my 50 years of experience in implementing plan improvement as the weft. Now, uh, if you don't know what warp and weft is, in a weave, the warp are the, are, the are the threads that stay in place and the weft is the stuff that's woven in. So Shingo throughout his books and all his books was always giving credit to other persons, the people who came before him, Taylor and the Gilbris, all the way back to Adam Smith. He was a student himself and that was the warp. And that was all of the pieces, as you take a look at this model here, and it's a very busy model, I know, it was based upon a, a fundamental idea of what does it take to solve a problem? And for Shingo, solving problems was continuous improvement and it was always addressing the status quo. So that at the bottom here, I've interposed his kind of overall approach, observation, idea formulation, judgment, suggestion. He used the word suggestion, but I think he meant proposal here. Often in translation, things are a little, uh, a little awkward. And execution. So, so, um, so this in total is the model and there are these multiple stages 
first of all, categorize things properly. When he said, think in terms of categorical principles, that quote actually responds to get the right perspective. There's relationships among things and very abstractly, you ought to be standing in the right place to understand what you see and maybe take multiple perspectives. And then very, very, very important, which is you know, unique to what we now call lean is you know, understanding what a problem is. What is good? What does it, you know, what, what do we mean by waste? What are those things? What does that mean? That continues, I think, for many organizations to still be a struggle. We talk about it, but we do we really understand it? And then in stage two, probably the most significant for me was this idea of what he refers to as better means. There's, he, Shingo often referred to conceptual blind spots. In other words, we're looking at something, but we can't actually see it. We can't see it because we have lenses on which are preventing it from seeing it. We have these conceptual blind spots. And then a whole series of steps that deal with making improvements. Now, I couldn't possibly begin to cover all of this in a short uh, presentation today. I'm gonna cover the little bit that I think deals best with uh, the idea of attacking the status quo, you know, right at the front end. So I'll talk a little bit about what he referred to as problem identification, and then stage two, which is better conceptual approaches to improvement. The interesting thing about this is, you know, his weave, there's the warp, which is methods from other people. And then there's the weave and all of those stories from Shingle, the ones we hear about the, the story of the chimpanzee and the, the banana skins and all of that, they all fit into this model, scientific thinking mechanism, even though it's scientific. So much of what Shingo has to say is about his personal experiences with creating change, the resistance that we have to creating change. And for me, as somebody who is trying to implement, this was just an incredible amount of information, valuable information. Looking at stage one, uh, the idea of elimination of waste is not the problem. Clearly, and I'm as a young manager, I was realizing people don't even see this. That's not always obvious. And, and he wasn't only talking about the people on the floor, he was talking about management. When he was saying the best approach is to dig out, eliminate problems where they are thought not to exist, he was dealing with the fact that we don't think there are problems. And so as a manager, the, all these sayings, they fit into this category of, yeah, you can't just lay out waste and expect everybody is gonna understand it. What I learned from this was, that people need to understand what this is personally first. They tacit learning. You know, you can't understand it for them. Then it's very important to let the employees do this. Uh, I, I'm a believer in sort of guided observation to kind of help people find the way, but don't dictate. And ultimately, frontline sees far more than any manager could ever see. These were lessons that Shingo is trying to weave into basic problem solving. And the next issue is this big challenge of fear of change and complacency. Shingo's point is to identify a problem, one must be constructively dissatisfied with the status quo. For me, that meant uh, tapping into dissatisfaction. We typically have plenty of that. We just have to turn it constructive. Okay, and then engineering early victories, priming the pump, praising agents at all level, all level, change agents. What I mean is, if you're praising somebody on the floor for an improvement, praise that person's supervisor as well, because there's fear of change. Okay, and then later on, uh, the fear of change is replaced by complacency. We're good enough. 
And there, the, the countermeasure that I found was we just need to continually show passionate commitment to improvement. And looking at stage two, four objectives of improvement, this is uh, in his model, the order of improvement must be easier, better, faster, and then cheaper. What a gem that is. So many organizations start out with cheaper and they fall flat on their faces. Shingo's point was, look, from my personal experience, if you want people on board, solve some of their problems, make them feel better, start there, okay? Very key lesson, okay? So you can be, have a problem solving method, but if we don't follow that order of improvement, we won't be solving problems. Then his devotion to the Gilbreths, the one best way, always looking for something better, very key. It's that pursuit that we never stop that pursuit. And then one last uh, observation here is his idea of five, you know, five W's and one Y. That's something that uh, is very, very, very prevalent. But Shingo added, added a lot to that, uh, that who, what, where, when, why, and how with the, this idea that that there's a network here, that why, in fact, is not an element that comprises a specific phenomenon. It's the question we ask of everything else. You know, I never really thought of it that way until I looked at the scientific thinking mechanism that we should be asking why that object, why that subject, why that method, why that space, why that time, and continually be asking that. That was his way of challenging the status quo. And in particular, there's also these relationships here, like the who and the what. Very big, big uh, takeaway for Shingo. Basic idea was uh, that there are two different flows here. There's the object, that could be a patient if it's healthcare, it could be material if it's production, and that's process. We need to analyze that from a process standpoint. And subject, that's us, that's the agents of change, the people in the machines. And we need to be analyzed differently. And those two flows Shingo discovered were very, very different. This was his discovery. And it's critical, critical discovery to understanding TPS. In fact, it's on the very first chapter of his book, that green book, on page one. He says it's necessary to comprehend the mechanism of production function correctly in order to study Toyota. Now, he published this diagram in every one of his books. And he was asked one time, uh, why do you keep publishing? And he says, because nobody gets it yet. And I think that's often true. I think the idea of saying, look, there are different, two different flows here. So there's this one flow here. And that, that's, the, um, you know, that, that's the flow of the, of, the, of the object. It's the material. It's material. In this case, we got two different products being made, a, a bushing and a shaft. And, uh, and they're both flowing through different processes. They go from, you know, they're stored, they're transported, they're processed, they're processed, they're inspected, and then they're, they're stored again. Okay, and he said, that's one flow. And that flow uh, is, is, is in a network with the flow of work operations, the stuff that people do, people and machines do. And so those two have to be looked at very differently because both of them, uh, can be improved independently. And prior to Shingo, you know, process was just seen as being on the same axis. This is, uh, this is very significant to understanding where we find delays. You know, delays can occur here. In this case, this is, a, th this is what he referred to as a process delay. It was due to poor timing or an imbalance among processes. The stuff got there and it wasn't needed. And that's on the y-axis. And then there's the uh, what he referred to as a lot delay, and that's uh, 
you know, the next process is waiting for material, but we're still finishing up the last piece on the lot. And those things have everything to do with flow. Understanding why that happens was critical for Shingo. So a very big takeaway for me, it put a lot of best practices from pull systems to setup reduction to mistake proving into perspective. It was the know why behind the know how. His book, uh, Non-Stock Production, it was management functions. And it deals with uh, what I think Shingo felt in the, in the end result was the most important process. You notice here that there are seven stages, as he called them. And the first one is this thing called volition. That's passionate, passion for change, passion for improvement. And it's followed by policy, which by which he meant the way things should be. What are we going to do? Those are, those are responsibilities for executives. Then planning, and then we implement. And then there are a couple of more stages where managers have a role. And finally ending up with, which, uh, with management's uh, last opportunity, and that is good job, what are we doing next? There's seven stages here. Uh, this last one, this volition and satisfaction have to do with keeping the process going. You know, Shingo uh, had a lot to say about complacency and, and about changing the environment so we would have people who felt empowered and felt like it was important to make change. And he said, all stages are based on these seven human actions, but volition is number one. It's number one for management to reinforce because ultimately the will to improve is the biggest obstacle to continuous improvement. It wasn't anything technical. Is do we have an environment where people have the will to improve? And incidentally, I just want to share one last piece here. And that is that Shingo's model lines up very well with the Shingo Institute's model of principal systems and tools where all these pieces fit together. So that's as much as I can share in a short period of time with you today. Uh, and uh, thank you for, for joining me. Uh, I wish I could share the entire model with you. There's just some wonderful thinking in the, in the scientific thinking mechanism. Perfect, thank you so much, Bruce. We do have some time for Q&A. Um, Jenny asks, let's see here. Oh, can you say more about satisfaction? What did Shingo mean by that? Satisfaction, thank you, that's a good question. Satisfaction is basically thank you. It's thank you, what are we doing next? If, if, in the spirit of always, if every improved condition is your new status quo, you wanna thank people and then you wanna say, okay, but let's recall that this now is our new status quo, what are we gonna do next? Uh, otherwise, this is battling complacency and it's also providing an ongoing professional challenge to every employee. Thank you. Next question is, how does regulatory compliance affect status quo? Yeah, so regulatory compliance is part of status quo. Okay, and uh, it, uh, different organizations will approach it differently. Uh, you know, some organizations look at uh, regulatory compliance and say, yeah, that's all we can do. We can't do anything about a regulatory compliance. And others then take that as the challenge. You know, the, the path to improvement, I forget where I saw this, but I loved it when I saw it. The path to, the, to improvement is defined by the constraints. That we, we need to just to embrace those constraints and say, yeah, these constraints exist. Uh, and certainly regulatory compliance is not the only constraint we face. But when we see that, 
uh, we can recognize that, yeah, particularly in some in, in industries, it could be nuclear, it could be pharma, uh, those are realities. But, but the great organizations are ones that find ways to break through and you know, provide that compliance. Certainly, um, ISO compliance, people, organizations will complain that, yeah, you know, it's hard to make changes because ISO wants you to document everything. And I never actually had that experience. We just had to address uh, both systems as, as something in harmony and not in opposition. Thank you. I have a question um, asking where they could find out more information on the topic. So the topic certainly, uh, it's interesting, it, it's the uh, scientific thinking mechanism does not get covered much. Uh, I'm working with uh, a couple of my team, we're, we're actually working on a book that uh, covers this in part because we feel it's something that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. But Shingo talked about uh, this, you know, his, his very first uh, book that's been published in English, I don't think I have it in front of me here, but it's The Art of Creative Thinking, which was published back in 1959, talked about the scientific thinking mechanism. It was Shingo trying to gather all of the best thinking people before him and then uh, synthesize something, you know, maybe call it Shingo Kata. Instead of five questions, there were about 5,000 questions, but that was the, that's the wonder of it. It's the fact that he had so much experience and he was trying to share it in a structured way. Probably uh, this book here that I've, I've shown before, uh, the non-stock production is a favorite of mine because it's a later book and it, it has a lot of his later thinking, has a pretty good topic on the, a pretty good coverage of the scientific thinking mechanism. Another question we have from Atticus, he asks, what happened at your facility after Dr. Shingo left? What kinds of discussions did you have or what changes were implemented? Yeah, so, so actually Mr. Shingo, uh, if I can name drop here, he wrote about that visit to our plant in, in his last book, which we were just really excited about. You have to understand that we got into this, there was no lean, there was no Six Sigma, there was just an organization that was struggling to make a profit and struggling to make change. And Shingo's ideas were revolutionary. They, they really changed the place. On the day that he arrived at our plant, the announcement came over the PA that anybody who wanted to greet Mr. Shingo could line up uh, in, in the corridors and the entire place emptied to the floor and applauded for him as he came in. So we were incredibly receptive to Shingo from the owners to every, every employee in the place. He, he says in his book, he shook a hundred hands. So for him, it was a big deal. And for us, it was a big deal as well. It just, it, it just uh, was exhilarating. In fact, in that year, that, this was a year after we had made a submission to the Shingo prize and we were not uh, recognized that year. And after Shingo's visit, we resolved to apply again. And the following year we were recognized. So I guess it had a pretty good effect. Okay, last question of the day is, where can we find a copy of the Shingo Scientific Method book? Um, Bruce, I'll go ahead and answer that question. All of Dr. Shingo's books are available on our website um, at shingo.org slash books. Thank you so much, Bruce, for presenting today. And thanks to everyone for attending. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you're looking for additional educational opportunities or you would like to learn more about the Shingo model, please visit our website at shingo.org. Please remember to subscribe and to tune in to next time.